The battling bowmen were eager to see us as always. Their schedule was packed tight with criminals and odd jobs throughout the city, so they invited us along on their new watercraft for some quick catch-ups and pleasantries. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives, and it is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Okay. Uh, green people instead of red people <laughs> this time. We're just going through the color spectrum, um, which is a Green Lantern joke that doesn't matter at this point in time. We're going to be looking at Green Arrow and his sidekick Speedy. Don't worry about it. Speedy is not a, full, a speedster character. He just calls him Speedy. It's a dumb nickname. It's a dumb, confusing nickname. We, we all know this. Um, Green Arrow, as we all know, is Oliver Queen. Uh, Speedy is Roy Harper. Uh, Roy is Oliver's young ward, who he recruited after Roy basically showed him that he was able to hang with him in archery skill. The least exciting sidekick origin story, I think. Yes. Like, it's very... Yeah, it's, yeah I agree. You know, I mean, not that Aqualads, which was, I was banished from my home because I had the wrong eye color and I was afraid of fish, is terribly exciting, but it's, like, tragic. Versus, like, yeah, I mean, Roy's father did die, and he was raised by a Native American man, and then he was like, I'm going to be a sidekick for the Green Arrow. It wasn't like Green Arrow saved him from some tragedy, or Green Arrow was the one that raised him, like Batman and Robin, or Kara and Kal-El. You know, Kara's the last surviving daughter of, you know, her, uh, her home, and... You know, she was knocked out of time, so Clark grew up and is an adult. You know, there's all sorts of sidekick stories. This, not so good. Not so good in terms of how dynamic them getting together it really is. Roy just kind of happens. Yeah, and I think that really does serve his character for the future of comics in general. Is again, Roy applies for the position. God, that's right. Roy views himself as an equal. He earned his spot, not he was chosen or taken under the wing of or semi-adopted. He was chosen to be the sidekick by proving his worth. Yeah, that fits real well with where he goes later. Yeah, for the it, the more you kind of analyze as all the sidekicks look like, you know, Robin is, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, Dick is Bruce's son. Wally has a very intense relationship with Barry, despite the fact that his, you know, aunt is going to get married to him. But it's a mentor-mentee relationship um, because Barry feels responsible for what happened to Wally. So he has to be sure to train him how to use his powers. Kara and Kal-El are family. Um, Garth has nowhere to go. Garth is exiled from his home. And finds a home with someone who takes the time to teach him how to, you know, be unafraid of fish. And, you know, accepts him for who he is. Roy is rejected by Oliver twice. Because the trick shots he tries to attempt get fucked up by nature. <laughs> Ollie doesn't want Roy as a partner until Roy actually helps him to solve a case. Their relationship is entirely merit-based. Hmm. And despite the fact that Roy does live with Oliver, we don't see a paternal relationship like we did with Bruce and Dick when 
Dick's estranged family came to take him and Bruce and Alfred were super broken up about it. Yeah, we don't get... I mean, to boil it down, we don't get Ollie as a nurturing individual. Yeah, Ollie and Roy are... you know, They're archery buddies. That's it. Even with Garth, like... Aquaman is invested in him passing his schooling. Mm-hmm. That he helps him cheat, kind of. <laughs> In an elaborate, in an elaborate exam that involved a pirate ship and whales and shit forming letters for him to hopefully pass a test. Like, that's how intense Arthur cares about Garth's uh, land-based schooling. We don't see any of that with Roy and Oliver. They're just there together. And we don't get moral of the day stories with Mm. Roy yet. (laughs) And that'll be a different kind, but that's more after school special. This is like, you know how you could boil down uh, Shrek into like a 25 minute cartoon episode uh, with the moral of the story, don't judge a book by its cover. There aren't any stories like that in what we've covered with Roy. Whereas you do get those kind of, and that's the, that's the lesson of the day with Robin, uh, not a don't think that you're being abandoned by uh, your tutor uh they just have your best interests at heart we don't get those stories with roy and some of that's because these are short stories and they don't have a ton of flavor spoiler uh but as a result it's a different relationship because we do get those with garth it's a business relationship Oof. yeah the more you look at it their relationship is purely professional. There's no warmth. Mm-hmm. It is colleagues. It's the re- it's a relationship that was founded on merit and so can be dissolved on merit. Exactly. Which is why, like, there are those instances where, like, Roy... I think there was one where Roy was concerned he was being replaced. Mm-hmm. And it's that just right. little, little things of... Roy realizes, and this is reading into the comic, obviously it's not this deep yet. Roy is, I think, aware that his entire position with Green Arrow is as is secure as long as he is good at archery. Because they have no real fundamentally founded relationship that we see. They live in the same building, but we don't ever really see them palling around. Like we do with Dick and Bruce. Like there are maybe a couple issues where they like go on trips together or go out like driving. But it's never like we, we don't we don't see a familial relationship. It is those are all things that one would do with their best friend or mm-hmm. a, a, a person of their same age. The fact that we had an entire issue of Bruce fighting for Dick specifically to be in a lo- in a family that he loves showed that he actually cared about Robin and it was very it's very interesting like it's a similar relationship to Aquaman and Aqualad but because of how they got together it's different Aquaman and Aqualad are born out of I will teach you what you need to know so that you can go home I don't really want to go home anymore I want to stay with you oh okay then then we are our found family you know like we are we are he cares about you know um 
Garth when like Garth turns giant and evil mm-hmm. or, you know, Garth weeps when he thinks Aquaman has turned to, a, you know, turned to a bad guy. They care about each other. This is very much like two cops living together. And I think that's a fascinating way of, of seeing that and knowing where those two characters are going to eventually go. I agree. I just want to call out how entertaining the visual is of Roy Harper saying, you a cop? <laughs> tiny, tiny Roy Harper in a no, little I cop think, uniform. I think it works well with like teenager uh, arsenal as well. Yeah, it, oh, definitely with teenager arsenal. But also, also it is to be it is to be again stated. Roy is forever written older. Mm-hmm. So, this could also be Roy mid-teens. This could be 14, 15-year-old Roy Harper. Same with Wally. So, we're not sure. However, we've digressed far enough into the idea of, like, the themes of this episode. I know, Joanne, I'm so sorry. Um, it was important. It was relevant to the, what we were talking about. I promise it was. We're going to do uh, the year of 1962 to 1963. Uh, again, we were playing catch-up, but we're going to be going through World's Finest Stories, which are all about six pages. So this is actually going to be pretty insubstantial in terms of plot but the stuff that we have to talk about like we just kind of did i think is going to be interesting and you know this isn't going to be a heavy episode it might even be a shorter one and that's totally fine they can't all be hour fests of the two of us just meandering but try me i i mean we could do it (laughs) we shouldn't but we could and i know all of you listening at home are going please stop so we're just not gonna but what we are going to talk about is World's Finest, number 124, March 1962. That was a great segue, I know. Um, a man who uh, hires specific criminals to do specific tasks during crimes, i.e. a guy who's really good at driving is going to drive a truck into the water where a guy who's really good at scuba diving is going to pull the thing out of the water, um, is basically running a crime ring. And uh, they get tricked by Green Arrow and Speedy who kind of hide themselves within objects that they that the bandits intend to steal and then they pop out and spring on them um, in a surprise attack fashion. That's it. That's the story. Uh, World's Finest, number 125, May 1962. A young man who is doing daring jobs to pay for his son's operation gets entangled in, uh, in with a crime ring in a kind of like... So for those of you who are young uh, and don't know what want ads are think craigslist (laughs) but in the newspaper uh so he's basically answering want ads for dangerous jobs and odd jobs that need doing um he really should have called hal jordan i mean he's doing hal jordan stuff i was gonna Um, say challengers the unknown oh yeah or the challengers oh boy he would he would have been a good challenger um i would watch i would watch him in the challengers just doing this to save my son's life it's like how how ill is your child that you're still with the challengers um but, yeah, he's just basically doing weird things and testing out technologies for people that they're going to pay so he can pay for this operation or operations that his son needs. And um, one of the people that hire him are a group of criminals. They're like, hey, drive this thing for us. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And they're like, all right, cool. Go in that building with the with the machine that you're driving and steal stuff. And he's like, I don't feel comfortable. They're like, well, you're welded in there, so do it or else or we'll blow it up. And he eventually signals Green Arrow and Speedy who are flying over in the Aerojet and then he they rescue him. Which is actually kind of one of my more favorite stories in this group. Um, for yeah. being shorter stories, a lot of them actually pack quite a punch in terms of like action-packed and um, 
succinct. The way the stories are are very like start, middle, finish. We're not messing around. These are still hey, we we always beat the crap out of them better than Martian Manhunter stories. Yes. And it sucks to say, but these these just work. They're pulpy. They're quick, they're short, they're to the point. Something exciting happens every single time and we're done and it's over and you, it's it's not too many pages so you don't think about it too much and we're good. Uh, World's Finest number 126, June 1962, Green, Arrow, and Speedy uh, fight criminals who use decoys and decoy crimes to throw off their pursuers. Um, guy jumps into the water, he goes into what looks like a submarine, it's actually a fake submarine and the real submarine that he jumped into is long gone by that time, uh, things like that. Um, the originality in a lot of these stories isn't quite impressive because these are all supposed to be terrestrial things that Green Arrow can believably do something to. He gets involved in the major stuff like Starro, which, I mean, he wasn't around for, obviously, in the Justice League. But, you know, he does a lot of, like, spacey-type things with the Justice League. And, the you know, when he's down on the ground, he's doing these types of jobs. Um, world's Finest... Uh, number 127, August 1962. A young boy recounts to his club of friends, um, yeah, just buds, just buds in a clubhouse, I guess, um, that while witnessing a crime happening in front of him, he is captured by the criminals and brought into, uh, their hideout, and eventually he wriggles free and signals Green Arrow and Speedy to come get him, and he knows Green Arrow and Speedy. And his friends are like, that's not true, that's impossible. And then Green Arrow and Speedy show up and they're like, just kidding. He's, was, we, we did stuff with him, we promise. Here's the newspaper article that proves that, you know, he's a hero. And then his friends are like, golly gee whiz, you're so cool, Dave. <laughs> I don't know, he, yeah. I forget his name. It reminded me a little bit of like a Kid Flash story. Yes, there are definitely, this one matches a template that we've seen before. Yeah. I just don't remember where. I mean, take your pick of plucky youngsters i mean i'm sure there was a superman story similar to this where like the his there was the kid where his dad was pretending to be superman for a day and clark yeah yeah and clark undercover like helped convince people that he was superman and the kid was like look how cool my dad is um i mean in kid flash stories like always have to do with kids like the the kid the club in the last kid flash Mm -hmm. in the last flash episode we covered where the kid who was native american kind of similar to that too his child fraternity God, the child returning. Okay, world's finest number 128, September 1962. An older cop who refuses to retire and refuses to get off of his beat is put with a desk job and a promotion because he's, you know, been a good cop, but, you know, he's getting on in years. And he doesn't like the fact that, you know, he's been in a desk job. But while he's at his desk job and as a desk sergeant, um, a call comes in and it's, you know, Green Arrow and Speedy asking for help in a pursuit that they're doing. And he decides to go help himself, and as he gets there, taking a shortcut, he realizes that the bad guys have planted a mine to kill Green Arrow and Speedy. And he triggers the mine before uh, the duo get there, and he helps them capture the criminals. And he gets to go out, you know, on one last good collar, and everybody's happy. And he's like, I'm not such an old cop after all. And it's like, oh, you kind of still are, but also, like, you're good at your job. Being old doesn't preclude being good at, you know, being bad at your job. Agent treachery. Exactly. Uh, world's finest number 129 november 1962 a criminal makes an archery automaton a very goofy looking like tank treaded 
mop on a, you know, with a bucket on it kind of looking robot that shoots arrows. Um, and it's like real good, like real good. Because of course it is. It's a robot, and it you know is very good fighting Green Arrow, and he realizes that it's like attracted to the basically like a spy arrow he's got, like a little computer radio arrow that he has, and it's tracking the signal in his quiver, and so he kind of uses it as a decoy so him and Speedy can get around it and dismantle it and then stop these criminals. World's Finest number 130, December 1962. Green Arrow and Speedy use a new boat, the Arrow Boat, which is also kind of like a submersible, and it's like really dope. It's, it kind it of like good. gave me, it kind of gave me SWAT cat vibes. <laughs> I never watched that. And I don't know why, and those of you who watch SWAT cats at me, we'll talk about it. Um, great, great cartoon. Um, but they use this like, underwater boat to fight bad guys that i gotta say are very 1960s so they are underwater scuba diver guys in the skin scuba suits with head masks in the shape of shark heads riding those underwater sea do things that you saw in like the thunderball movie with james bond um that are also shaped like sharks and none of these men are a shark-themed villain named Tiger Shark, Bull Shark, Great White, or any any variation thereof of shark. They're just a bunch of guys with shark gear. Like, they robbed a mascot store, and we're like, this is probably a good thing to do with our gang. Instead of a bandana or a club patch, they they went hard. <laughs> I was going to say, like, like how you had the flying tigers in World War II, how you've got the, yeah. like the shark face painted on the side of a of a fighter plane it's like it feels like that it's not theme it's just color i would have i would have accepted like boats with tiger face or you know shark faces on them and what have you been like oh yeah they're the shark gang that's cool and but to have what can only be described as batman villain henchman outfits (laughs) yeah yeah and to not have and to not have a ringleader dressed as a shark is a missed opportunity. Like, they didn't have one guy who was real smart that they were like, Hey, Frankie, why don't you dress up like a shark, and we'll call you King Shark, and we'll all dress like this, and it's like a ready-made gimmick. And they'd be like, that's a great idea, Stephen. Why haven't we thought about this? They've all got weird names tonight. I'm sorry. Um, they're not weird names. They're normal. They're just normal, <laughs> average names. They're um, weird for their mundanity. Yeah, they're they're weird for their mundanity. Um, and I, I feel like there was a conversation we missed, or they raided the wrong truck or something. Like, and they're just trying to make you know lemons out of lemonade. Like, they really like were going like, God, we just robbed this Dick Sporting Goods truck, and all it had in it was shark themed aquatic gear. What the? What kind of sailor are they having? Right, well, screw it, guys. All right, I guess we're a shark gang. It just seemed like a, a, a poorly organized gang that missed an opportunity. Um, we're going to go with the final uh, story that we're going to cover. I told you it was short and sweet. Uh, World's Finest, number 131, February 1963. Happy New Year. Uh, a super depressed kid uh, is like inconsolable and just having the worst whatever stretch of time of his life. And... His family tries to help him. They take him to like a doctor and the doctor can't help him. And they're like, he won't even read stories about his favorite heroes, Green Arrow and Speedy. And the doctor's like, wait a minute. 
He's got favorite heroes. What if we burdened these superheroes with a child and told them in what has to be like the very first Make-A-Wish scenario to hang out with a depressed kid and be like, hey, uh, just bring him along on patrol with you. So in this very sad Make-A-Wish Foundation situation with a depressed child and us two superheroes, they basically just take him in a ride-along, you know, Speedy and Green Arrow, because his parents were like, oh, he loves them so much. And I was like, first of all, how does the Doctor have contact with Green Arrow and Speedy? Second of all, how did they agree to this? They won't let Arrowette hang out with them. The girl who's really good at archery. They're going to take this <laughs> tiny child with them who's like real depressed. I forgot like, about Arrowette. <laughs> I'm never going to forget about Arrowette because honestly, she deserves to be on the team. Yes. Um, 100%. But they take this kid with them and they, they bring him into dangerous situations. <laughs> and eventually Speedy and, and Green Arrow get in trouble and the kid archers his way out of it and helps the two archers and they're like hey all he needed was to see two people in danger which is a deadly precedent i think for this kid's depression um and should really be looked into more i think there's something more sinister happening here is that he's like i can only be empathic when other people are in danger otherwise i'm just maudlin for no reason and it's like what happened to you timmy (laughs) who hurt you (laughs) Where do, you, where do you go, Glenn Coco? I'm only um, capable of forming relationships where I'm needed. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yep. That's too real. <laughs> um, but that is that is the end of our coverage for the 1962 year of Green Arrow coverage. Uh, we will continue uh, next episode with more. However, let's talk about the fact that like the coolest thing to happen in this sequence of a year is they get a new car or like a new vehicle. They get they get the Arrow boat, mm-hmm. which is great it's a great thing but it's also just one more like remember how you're not batman yeah and it's obviously batman is the template with which to compare a character in the silver age at this time because uh he's the most successful vigilante like this he is a cornerstone of comics history yeah i mean we had the sandman dr midnight um the hawks were kind of like this when they weren't really pot when they weren't really like aliens i mean we've got blue beetle is happening at some point somewhere else green arrow is the is part of the long tradition of bored millionaires who have enough money to fight crime this smacks particularly strange when you look at the construction of the justice league you have two scientists ray and barry Two rich guys with lots of equipment, uh, Ollie and Bruce. Two aliens, Clark and John. And then one normal dude, Hal, and effectively a goddess. The two odd people out who have no counterpart. And it's weird to me that we needed a double up. Of the two rich guys with money and tech at this stage in comics. On the same team. On the headline team. That 
they are frequently like i mean obviously we're, we're at the we're not in the, the point in writing a narrative where you know character moments are really becoming common but i really hope we start to see batman oliver queen moments of like same hat you know <laughs> kind of a thing not like you know mm-hmm. ollie didn't necessarily lose his parents in the comics like bruce did but at the same time oh you're rich too and spend all of your money on this stuff Dude, that's weird. Isn't it the best, though? <laughs> you hope that they start being a little more self-aware. Uh, the writers, yeah. rather. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's Gardner Fox. We all know that his self-awareness extends probably to the edge of his nose. Um, and, and not in a bad way, just Gardner is good at what he fucking does. And what he does is write comics and use other people's stuff to make stuff better. I suppose the counterpart of normal dude going in space for Green Lantern would be Adam Strange. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, And that's just fine, but he's never a member of the Justice League ever. These stories, like we said earlier, six pages at all, you know, at most, in World's Finest, so they are a backup story for the main story, which is likely a Superman, Batman, Robin team-up, if I'm not mistaken. There's a reason we're not really covering those anymore. It's just, they're all the same. Nope. Nothing really happens in World's Finest that is important for the history of those three characters, because they all have their own books. There is no Green Arrow book currently, so this is the only place we can get his content. Um, I feel like once a character gets their own title, that is when things start to pick up for them in evolutionary sense. Unless you are a Martian Manhunter type character where all you appear in is detective comics and you've been appearing there for multiple years, so you might as well have some kind of you know evolution to a degree. I think Green Arrow and Martian Manhunter are suffering from the same thing of we both don't have our own titles. We are both backup stories. Somehow we have to have some progress. And it feels like the first real step of progress here was giving them a new boat. Yeah, ain't wrong. Now, they're not terribly fleshed out characters. We have background for both of them. You know, Oliver was crash landed, you know, on an island and learned how to be an archer. And Roy was raised by a Native American man after his father died. In a horrific forest fire because his father was a park ranger. But there's, like we were saying earlier in the episode, there is no real furthering of their relationship as characters with each other, which we know can be done. Because Aquaman stories do it very well between Aquaman and Garth. But it also feels like these two are serving the purpose of being the action-packed duo. This is like the wish fulfillment for a kid to be shooting boxing glove arrows at thugs and knocking them out and taking on criminals and gangsters. Where I imagine Batman, which we still don't have the back issues for, yet we're getting close. And once we hit 1964, baby, oh, we're getting back to Batman. Batman. But, you know, Batman comics are fighting themed villains and some sci fi gags. This is grittier and pulpier than we've seen a young man gentleman friend and his adult guardian do for a while i mean even kid flash doesn't get this gritty he has you know weather wizard that he takes on with you know the elongated man i don't know that i would call it gritty but 
I do sure. agree with where you're going in general. I, I think self-serious might be the way to put it. Yeah, it, it, it's, it is 100% committed to what it is. Yes. And that's fine. Like, the, there's nothing inherently wrong with this being a more serious, quote-unquote, serious take on the superhero genre of a older man and a young boy sidekick situation. Because like we said, Batman comics, from, from what we know at this point, are pretty sci-fi and tied to gimmickry and villains not having any consistent villains being crime stories that are this short i think is to this to the success of the green arrow comics it's 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 beneficial because if these were any longer they'd be boring yes 100 percent um because then they would be suffering from the okay what arrow do i have to use now problem that Aquaman and Martian Manhunter struggle with, except Aquaman, we've decided, as you know, we are this podcast is of the stance that fish are always cooler than superpowers. Um, and so Aquaman kind of succeeds in the uniqueness of the use of fish, whereas Martian Manhunter fails in the mundanity that that they have created out of his powers. So the six page story condenses all the uniqueness of arrows into one exotic arrow per story basically one exotic arrow that solves a problem versus they can have a couple that don't work so that you know that they have them but there's one that always does the job and i think that is to their credit because if there's always one that does the job they can strike out a couple times and it's still cool because then you can be like oh wow the acetylene torch arrow didn't work and the balloon arrow didn't work, but this time the shock arrow worked, and now I know that they've got a shock arrow so that we can pull that out later. But next time when they use the shock arrow, oh no, the shock arrow didn't work, but this time this arrow didn't. It's kind of a cool little rock, paper, scissors you can do because the breadth of their thing is limited only to the author's imagination, whereas Martian Manhunter is limited by the powers that he has, and Aquaman is limited to what he could do with fish. So there can be a little bit of ambiguity and creative license, I think, that the Arrow duo can use with their their weaponry. And let's be clear, these are weapons. Like, these are blunted arrows, said some of the times, but these are weapons. And in their weaponry, they have an exoticness to them that I think we only ever see rivaled by Batman's utility belt. And because they don't have a gallery of villains to fight... Six pages is enough to go through enough gadgets that it's still fun when they do it. It's not overwrought. I think that's the key phrase there, overwrought. Like, I do still think that longer issues, longer stories would give it the space to develop and be better. That being said, no idea whether they would actually be able to deliver on that potential, uh, in which... Be, because, but the key bit is that it doesn't overstay anything. It it distinctly avoids being overwrought. You are 100% using the right term there. Yeah. I think that's really all I have for this in this uh, summary. Because like I said, there isn't really too much to be doing anything here. But I think what we are seeing 
is very interesting from a standpoint of this is where they start to knowing where they go. And it's it's important for us to keep marking these uh, signposts along the journey of these evolution, uh, the journey of the evolution of these characters. All right. So on my end, I just found a comparison that I drew uh, or an analogy for the shortness of it that uh, it feels like the juice was squeezed out of it to make it fit. Mm. And that's, it's a little unfair on that because there is still solid stuff in these. I, I, I was less impressed than you were, but there wasn't anything. They were certainly inoffensive. They were not, they were never bad. They were always structurally solid. It was just okay. You went with the, you went with the most obvious way of doing this. The most obvious solution. The most obvious kind of villain. Once you start with the basic hook of okay, this this villain is going to this this crook is going to choose like specialists, like. I want to be clear, like we've sort of danced around this. We haven't quite been clear on this one, that all of the villains are crooks. Just regular, yeah. like, well, well-run well crooks. Not even mobsters. They are gangsters. Like, it's, it, it is, they are gang, the, like the booby trap bandits and the decoy gang. They are gangs. They aren't even, like, organized crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, like, yeah, these are kind of bland kind of seen it before stories that do a solid job uh and they're structurally fine and they are dancing around the line of creative or not creative arrow usage but th- these aren't bad you're 100 correct on that and i do agree that probably the best story from these was the guy who is uh taking risky jobs to pay for his son's surgery uh, in part because, like, the resolution is not arrows. It's organizational, like, logistics version of the good enough science where mm. the guy thinks quickly and to show uh, Ollie and Roy that, hey, I'm in distress, I need help, uh, he grabs a flagpole, like, out of the ground and flips it over with the machine so it's like, oh, that's the symbol of distress. Yeah, okay, we'll help out. Like, that's the kind of thing where I'm like, you know, that's not the most amazing thing, but I buy it. Uh, so we're we're back to those. Yeah, his his level of agency is nice. Yes. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I do miss supervillains. There there really isn't anything memorable about these stories. Uh, again, with maybe the exception of the guy stealing stuff or not stealing stuff, taking high-risk jobs uh, to pay for his son's surgery. Uh, And I miss having at least nods to world building or the existence of a world because there are no recurring characters here. Uh, Always a sad thing for me. And actually, I'm, I'm technically lying, but in reality, I'm telling the truth because there is one supervillain-ish thing and it's the iron archer it's the robot but the robot doesn't get a chance to shine and i don't just mean that it doesn't have like uh it doesn't have an impact on the fight or anything it it doesn't take the panels to like show it off there's no like debut where it's like oh shit it's on there's no walking 
you never have a moment for it to just hit its music and then get the walk on yeah it it, it has no stinger for its you know, for its entrance uh, look we did it we made a wrestling joke everybody <laughs> uh, you thought we wouldn't so it's always worth uh bringing up who is credited on working with it uh on making the issues so these stories at least on dc wikia are a bunch of different writers uh ed heron and dave wood are primary uh Every once in a while, you'll get a story from George Cashton and Bob Haney. And Lee Elias is consistent on art and inks. Um, none of them people who we have really latched onto or felt very strongly about their stuff, I don't think. Uh, Ed Heron uh, had, has apparently been like the lead writer on Green Arrow from the 50s. So it makes sense that Green Arrow's world ends up feeling static. Uh, He's in somebody else's book for six pages at a time, and it's the same writer. Uh, and uh, Schiff, the editor, is the same editor who's done World. Yeah, I mean World's Finest as a whole. So you've got the Superman and Batman stuff, and I think he also did. I think he's also done whatever else Aquaman's been in. I guess Aquaman the comic. And showcase maybe not nah, showcase. Uh, one way or another, shift style as an editor seems to be more like these gag of the weeks and less. Let's build these characters out and reinvent them in interesting and fresh ways. So it makes sense that Green Arrow is in the same boat. Uh, that being said, apparently Ed Heron uh, wrote some stories for Batman in the New Look era, which is 1964. So coming right up on it. I didn't realize that Carmine Infantino drew like half of the stories or at least half the issues in the new look era. So I am super looking forward to that because apparently we're going to get like the Dark Knight detective and I'm super jazzed for that. Denny O'Neill writing too. Oh my God, already? Denny O'Neill is the guy that's, he's either going to be the editor or the writer for those because he's the one credited with making him the Dark Knight. Oh, shit. Oh. Uh, some context, because uh, I always find this interesting. So it's every issue of World's Finest is a Superman-Batman story, a Green Arrow story, and either Aquaman or Tommy Tomorrow. And then a couple little gag stories. Um, interesting bits. Uh, remember how I've mentioned in the past that they have the little... Uh, they often have a page that's just, did you know, like, prose written out, either stories or, hey, did you know these things? I learned that cobalt, like the metal, the name for it is derived from cobalt or kobold, like the goblinish monster from D&D. Hmm. Uh, apparently it was, like, cobalt was called, like, the devil of the mines. Um, hmm. And I think that is the effort, the extent of what I've got... Yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to Green Arrow starting to get some something cuz it definitely there's nothing building. Here's the thing about that. The, the what we're going to see soon is once 1964 hits, if I look at my my back issues here from Showcase Presents, 
there is a three-year gap because he shows up in World's Finest, then suddenly in Brave and the Bold, and then there's a three-year gap between 1964 to 1967 where he then shows up again in a Brave and the Bold with Batman, and then another gap for two years where he looks like the Robin Hood Green Arrow. He might stop getting stories. Huh. And he might just show up in Justice League. I believe it. So we might actually be coming up to the end of Green Arrow coverage for a while. Until we start finding, like in 1969 or 67, um, some genuine green arrow comics and i don't even know if those happen because i know the only time i can think of a green arrow comic is green arrow green lantern i think yeah uh yeah because the i mean snowbirds don't fly like happens in green lantern yeah so yeah so i think we're actually next issue or next episode we're gonna cover the end of green arrow's run that will be hmm I mean, I'm bittersweet about that because it sounds like 69 is when Denny O'Neill starts writing Green Arrow. And right. that I'm looking forward to. But Oh, sure. But it'll be a little. This will be the first casualty, the first attrition that we've really had from that, that the we Silver will have, Age. That we will have covered from start to finish. Yeah. Because we didn't do that with a lot of the Golden Age. We just kind of skipped till we were in silver ages this will be the first character we see the end of in solo series um we won't cover the 67 and 69 stories because we're not there because we're doing chronological stuff and it won't make a lot of sense and the writing will be different and those are actual full issues like 24 page issues um when we get to those at that era we'll do that Maybe alongside the Batman coverage, because both of those stories are Batman and Green Arrow stories. So maybe when we do 1967 Batman and 1969 Batman, we'll cover those. Um, The next one that's going to fall off the radar, at least in my mind, is probably going to be Challengers and then Martian Manhunter. Because they don't sell a lot of Challengers back issues. And Martian Manhunter, I know for certain, I have the end of in the books that I have of. So... We're starting to see characters start and fail on their own power, but it will be interesting to see what happens post-1964, how often he shows up in JLA, because I am assuming he stays in the, in the league. I assume so. I don't, huh. I don't recall him coming out of it. The one I do recall leaving is Martian Manhunter, and he is replaced by Hawkman, and that is when we start to really get the heavily red or not heavily read, but the heavily written relationship between Hawkman and the Atom. So that being the end of our coverage and that kind of final note we have, let's go to recommendations. Um, I'm going to recommend East of West, which is started reading. It is an image comic. Mm. Um, It is a futuristic Western set on earth in a, in an alternate history wherein Essentially, the Civil War continued until we developed nuclear weapons. Now, alternate histories that hinge on racially charged conflicts are always wary and always something to be aware of. There is not a lot of talk of African Americans and slavery in East of West. Um, 
There is, however, a lot of talk with First Nation civilizations and Native Americans. So it's an interesting, weird trade-off as to who is being spoken about. Um, like, America is divided up into several different countries. There's magic and sci-fi. It's very beautifully drawn. I'm a big fan of the art. Um, and the story centers around the upcoming apocalypse and the four horsemen and kind of their roles in this new world and how they are trying to manipulate the apocalypse. I have only read the first volume. I'm interested. Uh, there are things that I'm like, mm, that's a bit of a note, much like, you know, uh, every time you see, like I say, alternate histories, you always gotta kind of watch out for the dog whistles. Um, granted, as a non-African American myself and a non-Native American myself, I can't speak to whether or not these stories are offensive to my personal experience. I think it's an interesting comic because it's an original idea and image usually is a place to go when you want to see things that are created by creators that are a little off and left of center. Um, I believe the series is still ongoing and it has multiple volumes. Again, the art is really beautiful. Um, a lot of uh, Chinese representation in the comic. Uh, the, chi uh, the Chinese government, um, the dynasty of Mao Zedong, basically took over San Francisco. So, like, San Francisco is a Chinese nation. Um, Native Americans have their own large nation as well. It's very, it's very fascinating to see kind of like futuristic versions that are um, entrenched in the culture of that nation and, and built out in that way. That's kind of cool. Those seem really interesting. None of them are played for laughs either, which I really appreciate. Um, I would check it out. It's just, it's kind of cool. And I would also be really interested in other people's opinions, specifically people of color, um, on how they feel about the comic. I'm always just kind of curious to hear folks' thoughts on stuff like that. So, you know, just for me to learn, um, if they have any feelings on the matter. Uh, and I'm sure there's already plenty of articles written about this. This is, this is not a, a new series. Um, I'm, I'm sure to look for it if I, if I come across it, but if you do have any thoughts on it, please, you know, find me on uh, Twitter, uh, at John Salito. Um, and uh, I'd love to talk to folks about it, but I, I'm, I'm interested and I want to get more. So I'm going to recommend it just even just as a, a curiosity and sort of a think piece. I'm curious how sci-fi Westerns are viewed, um, by just kind of anybody who is non-white. On my end, I'm going to recommend The Good Place. Uh, Rebecca and I are watching yeah. it right now. We're only a season and a half in. Uh, she's watched all the way up to, like, the end of the previous season. Uh, so I'm, but I'm watching it for the first time. It's just, it's interesting to me because, it, first off, it's just really well done. Uh, cool, I a good idea. Uh, and it very, very different. But also, it's it's part of a conversation or it's in conversation, I think with shows like Bojack Horseman and kind of Rick and Morty and crazy ex-girlfriend that are about people earnestly trying to get better at least at points, uh, and be kinder to the people around them. Uh, but unlike those, this is starting from the position of pleasantness, I guess it's not, Bad, it's not bad people trying to be good. It's normal people trying to be better 
and that change in tone and starting place uh, makes for a, a just much more pleasant show. Uh, pleasant is a good word. It's that doesn't necessarily mean better, but it's a pleasant experience. But also, it's interesting as a counterpoint to the harshness of those other shows that I mentioned, at least sometimes. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I mean, I really like the Good Place because I think it's a, it yeah, to your point, it is a really good study in how to write broken people in a way that is not offensive Mm -hmm. the good place is about normal people that you can relate to who are literally just trying to do their best and i think that's what's so endearing about it Mm -hmm. is that it is much closer to home and much easier to relate to because the characters are more human and when their success is earned it is much more satisfying. And I think that's why it is such a wildly successful show is because the heart is really powerful in that show. It has good intentions. Yes, very much so. <laughs> um, that is going to do it for us for this episode. Again, the next episode is going to be the end of Green Arrow coverage for us for quite a long time. If not, I don't know. I don't know how long we're going to be doing this podcast until... One of us decides we're sick of the other. Um, uh, we are going to say goodbye to Green Arrow in the next episode. And we don't know when we'll see him again, but hopefully sometime we're going to see him in Justice League, I imagine. Um, but until then, uh, we hope you all have a lovely evening and we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. After a day with Green Arrow and Speedy, we were saddened to see the duo not getting longer stories with further development. Still, the pair of them were steadfast in their mission to save the city, and there's at least some comfort in that.